Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. We are the environmental news podcast where we bring you the latest on everything green, everything environment, climate, energy, the politics around it all. I'm Matt Sharwood, I'm an author, I'm a journo, and I'm sitting opposite Elfie Scott. Hello, Elfie. Hi, Ant. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist, writer, and I am currently bloody obsessed with The Great British Bake Off. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about new predictions for coal over the next decade, naming heat waves, PMS and its connection to the environment, and much, much more. But we're going to have to kick off things today by talking about the big environment news of the week, which is Labor's new climate plan. This is the most comprehensive modelling ever done for any policy by any opposition in Australia's history since Federation. Our plan All right, that was, of course, opposition leader Anthony Albanese launching their Powering Australia plan late last week. And can you give me the basics on what the plan includes? Look, this is Labor um, stepping carefully, Elfie. This is Labor not wanting to scare people, which it's pretty well regarded they did last time, but giving enough to please the environmentally minded folk out there. And we'll talk in a moment about, you know, whether they pulled that off. Mm -hmm. But but in a nutshell, what have they done? Well, they they are framing... uh, 43% Forty-three uh, percent as as their big target by 2030. So they're going to reduce emissions to 43 percent of the 2005 level. Of course, when we always say that it's of the 2005 level, 43 uh, by 2030. This is what the nations of the world are doing. The nations of the world are going, hey, it's all about 2030 now. That net zero at COP50 by 2050, uh, by COP26, sorry, but um, 2050. Well, that was one thing, but every, you know. The new thing, the new trend, the new fashion is not just the Great British Bake Off. It is 2030. <laughs> That's what it's all about with emissions now. So, look, f- 43 is less, as you know, than they took into the last election in 2018. when they By t- just a scooch. By a scooch, uh, whatever a scooch is. But, uh, you know, if a scooch <laughs> means 2%, then it is exactly by a that scooch. That is the scientific measure, yeah, yes. Yeah, because it's, the, it was 45 at the last election. But, look... Um, the USA is sitting on a, a target of 52 by 2030. Uh, the the UK is is higher. Canada's around the 50 mark as well. The Business Council of Australia is 50 percent. So we now have the Australian Labor Party being actually less conservative, uh, more conservative than the Business Council of Australia in terms of its emissions targets for 2030. Mm-hmm. But but nonetheless. Um, as Albanese said, a lot of modelling there, and it's not just about the 43%. It's about a whole lot of measures that the Labor Party, should it form government, plans to take uh, to push us forward to get renewables to, I believe, 82% of the national electricity grid by 2030, rather than I think they'll get to 68 under business as usual, as we are now. Uh, they're going to do a bunch of stuff, and included amongst that... They're going to have solar banks. That's, that's you know, uh, solar power that will be available to those who can't stick panels on their own houses, whether they live in apartments or for other reasons. Ditto with community batteries. Um, they're, they're going to do some measures that will just wash really well with the electorate. They're going to have uh, the government vehicles will be uh, electric, the whole fleet. Um, 
I believe they're going to make the whole Australian public service net zero by 2030. Yeah, right. Which uh, just irresistibly, you have to say, we'll stop some of the hot air coming out of Canberra. <laughs> yeah, oh, my I'm, God. I'm, okay. So, <laughs> so there is a lot going on. And, and, and basically, it is all framed around not costing the economy, not costing mm-hmm. jobs, but creating jobs, fueling the economy. Um, 600,000 jobs, 604,000 exactly, uh, if the modelling is to be tru- trusted. And, and I, you know, the, the people who've done the modelling, Reputex is their name. Uh, I assume they are reputable, but, but they are because they're in the game. That, that This is what they do. They are in the new energy game. And, and um, as Albo said, uh, since Federation, no opposition party has ever done such a, such a serious amount of modelling. Yeah, amazing. And, yeah, we have to talk about how incredibly comprehensive this plan is, right? Because they're not just talking about jobs. They're not just talking necessarily about one sector. They're talking about the whole economy. They're talking about things like rewiring the whole grid. Uh, they're talking about uh, tightening the coalition's safeguard mechanism as well, which I think we have to discuss. Um, can you talk to me? about the safeguard mechanism? Quite, quite simply, the safeguard mechanism uh, is, is is a sort of lame, uh, doesn't work very well, uh, <laughs> encouragement to, to get big emitters down to a reasonable level. If they don't make it, they have to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they do make it, they can get credits. Um, but it doesn't work. That's the it point. doesn't really work. But, but Albo, you know, Labor uh, plans to sort of make that less of a toothless tiger and actually put some grunt into it. Because they're sort of eventually lowering the thresholds, right? That's exactly right. That's that's a big part of the way that they plan to get to to 43 is is to actually make the safeguard do something. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And I think that we also have to talk about the very obvious factor of why this is being announced now. And, Mm. you know, clearly we are coming up to a federal election. Uh, We're still months away from that actually happening. But it seems like it's truly started looming now and you know like you were talking about earlier it seems like Labor are trying to target this middle ground of these urban electorates who want ambitious climate action and they're selling it to them with jobs promises and things like growths in the green economy growth in the green economy not growth (laughs) (laughs) but but Elfie to answer your question why now um well, it's pre-Christmas. They've got to get some of this messaging out there pre-Christmas because they know that people talk about things around the around the Christmas turkey. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've I, never I, heard I, of that I before. Be- I believe that. And and um, so secondly, um, that it might just be when the report came out, but <laughs> the report might have come out this week. But I don't think it was a coincidence. I think, and I don't think the following thing was a coincidence either. On the day when Labor talks about TAFE, about restoring TAFEs and all the apprenticeships mm. uh, that go through TAFE, especially to low-income Australians. Uh, and they're also talking about creating green jobs. And he also, in talking about the 604,000 jobs, spoke about apprenticeships for people in the renewable energy industry. So presumably, you need to be uh, pretty skilled to go and build a solar farm mm-hmm. or to install or fix wind turbines or... or, or Whatever you know, other jobs that you and I probably can't even imagine in, in in new industries around hydrogen and stuff. Sure. And Albanese made an announcement about TAFE within the same twenty four hours as this came out, and you might just say he was busy that week and he had a lot on, or you might say it seems that Labor is trying to preach to uh, the true believers, the people who may vote green but they'll get the preferences from, and 
to the, the old true believers, the, the, the blue collar workers. That's, mm. I think, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that also we have to discuss the fact that maybe they felt slightly burnt by the last election, to put it mildly, mm-hmm. and they understand the threat that's presented by the Libs and Clive Palmer's cash this time around as well. So they're really just trying to navigate a minefield right now, and this is what they've come up with. But we have to talk about the reactions to that as mm. well, naturally. Uh, so this week, Scott Morrison obviously criticised the plan, saying that 43% target will be the opening bid and he's saying that it will actually end up much higher than that and Labor are being misleading. To which I say, cool, I hope so. <laughs> that would be great. Well, and, and a lot of other people are saying that, aren't they? A lot of people are saying 43 is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean... The Greens are saying 75, please, and people like the Climate Council says 75, please, and even the Business Council, as already discussed, says 50%. But, you know, there has been criticism of... of, Personally, I feel that Adam Bant went went hard. And you you may go... You may argue went too far, but he certainly went extremely hard when, when he said, Labor and Liberal want more coal and gas... And their low targets mean we lose the fight against global warming. Well, Yeah, we're looking at his tweets right now. He went on a little bit of an abant rant there, which, <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him for. I think it's totally fair criticism um, in my books. But I, Look, I, I, he has a point from that pure green perspective. We all know that ideally the whole world would be net zero yesterday and we can get on <laughs> with making a better world. But there is a thing called real politic and... I think Labor are sick of losing elections. They're certainly sick of taking suicidal policies to elections. Last mm. time, they were picked off so easily, embarrassingly easily. You'll lose your weekend, you'll lose your ute, all the things that were said about them. And Labor has tried to proof themselves against that sort of attack this time. And so when Scott Morrison says uh, the 43% target will be the quote-unquote opening bid and end up higher, and you say, I hope it does... I say to you, it probably will. But I don't think anyone's saying that too loudly. Subtext. (laughs) All right. Well, now we are going to move on and talk about um, renewables forecasts because there was an interesting report from the International Energy Agency this week. Uh, It was their annual renewables market report. And, yeah, it basically predicts some very interesting things of what will happen uh, with coal in the next decade. Uh, The report predicted that the demand for coal will peak in 2026. Uh, Growth in in renewables is already outpacing forecasts. And over the next five years, the IEA says they're predicting a 60% growth in global clean energy generation. Yeah, look, I mean, I I found it hard to to get past the, the front page of the report in which there was this glorious picture of a field. It looked like it was in Europe somewhere. And if you've been watching the video of this podcast, you, you might have noticed it quickly. And there was a field full of gold and something, probably canola or something, something that might end up as a biofuel, um, <laughs> with, a, with a wind turbine in the background and um, solar panels in the foreground. So it was kind of just this, this beautiful uh, landscape of, there it is. Oh, isn't it gorgeous? See that? Three types of fuel. I re- I'm, calling, I'm calling that a crop with biofuel in it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, coal's on the way out. We knew it. 
this report confirms it. Is there much more to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that the what the report adds is talking about government policies. And it said that in order to hit net zero by 2050, governments are still going to have to buckle up and strengthen policies before 2026 and actually incentivize greenhouse gas reduction. And yeah, I think that in light of what Labor has uh, published this week, it's, it's a pretty interesting thing to say. It is, and I think Labor has you know, gone some way to flagging that it will incentivise exactly what you said, the production of renewables. So here's hoping. We can only hope. All right. So now we are going to head into our section that we have strangely dubbed the good, the bad and the weird. It's essentially (laughs) just the stories that we're curious about this week based around science. And what do you want to talk to me about this week? Elfie, I'm I'm, I'm a personal person. I, I, I like to know the name of the people I'm dealing with and I, and I like to know the name Do of you? the... Do you? You call me the wrong name all the time. Elfie. No, I've never called <laughs> you anything except awesome Elfie. Now listen, we name cyclones. That's That helps us know that Cyclone Tracy in 1974, Christmas Eve, destroyed Darwin. Mm. Uh, Cyclone Yasi in 2011 and the last double-barrelled um, La Nina like we're having now with all the wet weather uh, did damage in North Queensland. And California is about to become the latest place in the world to name heat waves. Interesting. What is the point of naming a heat wave? Well, I just named two storms that you remember. Why why should cyclones or hurricanes, as as they're called in the Northern Hemisphere, why should they get all the love? Why why should they get all the (laughs) nomenclature? Yeah, I mean... To use the wanker word of the day. (laughs) There always has to be one. And... uh, You know, I I can see how that could become more and more relevant as the climate heats up. And I do think that having names, especially for things like fires as well, it does sort of seem to instill things in the public consciousness. Although I think we're going to have to come up with better names for fires other than (laughs) things with the prefix black, right? (laughs) At some point in the future. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, we had had Black Summer and we had Black Saturday and, you know, Black This and Black That. But... Uh, you know, th- that's the point, though. We call 2019, 2020, two summers ago. Everyone calls that the black summer. Mm. And heat waves we know are becoming more common. And naming would do two things. It would help us remember the bad ones so we can talk about them. That may be useful in an insurance con- uh, oh, context or any, any okay. number of contexts. Yeah. However, it also... What California is doing, and, and, and you know, there's there's some sort of talk in Australia that it could eventually be implemented here, or there are no official plans, um, but um, it would enable us to categorise the severity of heat waves. Now, the Bureau of Meteorology has a, a, a thing, but we could say, oh, look out for heat wave Elfie coming next week. <laughs> it's a doozy. It's going to be a five. I'm always a doozy, aren't yeah, I? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I would like to tell you mm. my story this week. Actually, you know, what? I'm going to start off with my bummer story and then I'm going to go into the one that's actually okay. like just like interesting because mm. this one's a bit sad. All right. Uh, so basically scientists researching the Great Pacific Garbage Patch have found marine animals living on the plastic debris. And if you don't know what the patch is, it's basically this collection of garbage that floats in the Pacific, obviously, and it's literally 1.6 million square kilometres big. So this week, scientists have found anemones, crabs, mollusks, and things like that, critters, living on like 90% of the patch. So it's formed its own bloody ecology. Yeah, it's it's frightening, isn't it? I mean... (laughs) There, are, there, are, there, are, there is a thing in marine ecology called rafting where an animal hitches a ride, and that's mm. a thing. That's part of the ecosystem. Yeah, right. Uh, these creatures they're finding are crabs. They are coastal animals, but they're basically treating the garbage patch like a piece of coast <sighs> because it's so permanent and so damn 
thick or heavy or, you know, clean yeah. chewable. That is so grim, Ant. But all right, let's jump onto something that's just like a little bit silly and a little bit bizarre. But a study from Northern Europe this week has found that living in greener areas could reduce women's risk of getting PMS. Mm. Basically, these researchers from... I think they're from Norway, uh, looked at Scandinavian women and the areas they lived in in terms of how much greenery they were surrounded by, and they found that they had lesser symptoms of PMS. So they found that women who had higher exposure to green spaces seemed to experience less anxiety, depression, difficulty sleeping, breast tenderness, and abdominal bloating before the start of their periods. There you go. Uh, Elfie, I am exquisitely... um unqualified to comment on this <laughs> but but i do know that anything that that uh cuts down on the condition known as pms can't be a terrible thing you have a daughter and a wife <laughs> your household <laughs> would be much easier all right so that is all we have time for this week thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the green canary before we leave today we'd like to acknowledge the gadigal people of the eora nation the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Thanks, Elfie. Well said. And everybody out there, please, please like us. Please subscribe to us. Please chat to us on Twitter, where we're at the Green Canary Pod. Or you can say hello to us on Instagram, where we're at Green Canary Media. And you can send Elfie and I a message and you can do anything you like. But as long as you come here next week, we'll be happy with that. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, bye. Bye.